Would you join me this morning again in the book of Ezra? Ezra chapter 7. It is so good to be home. We're glad to be with our folks, our family here. We enjoyed our time in Jacksonville very much, but it's so good to be home. Remember the saints down there. The book of Ezra chapter 7. I'd like to read the last two verses of this book, or of this chapter, Ezra chapter 7, last two verses. The words of Artaxerxes' decree are concluded with verse 26. And in verses 27 and 28, we have Ezra in a state of great thanksgiving to the Lord God of his fathers for that decree. And here he has this to say, Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, which hath put such a thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, and hath extended mercy unto me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes, And I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. And I gathered together out of Israel chief men to go up with me. I thought when I started studying these two verses that we would conclude this chapter today, but we won't. There's more in verse 27 than I can deal with today. There's such a blessing in that passage of Scripture. Ezra reminds us of the reason the king ever let the people return to Jerusalem. God in covenant mercies is why this king let Israel or Judah and Benjamin go back to Jerusalem to begin with. As it tells us in there, blessed be the Lord God of our fathers with us puts Put such a thing as this in the king's heart. Now he goes back, Ezra goes back and grabs a hold of a wonderful theme that's found throughout the scriptures and that is God's covenant with his people. He goes back as we heard read there in the book of Exodus just a moment ago as God appeared unto Moses the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is a theme that we find throughout the Old Testament, and it is brought up again in the New Testament as we find that God reaches back and illustrates a point for us, just like Ezra was led to do here in this seventh chapter of the book of Ezra and verse 27. Grab a hold of what the promise is. Grab a hold of what the covenant is. Grab a hold of what God has promised from eternity on the behalf of his people for their, time, for their eternity, time, and eternity. Grab a hold of this. In the book of Genesis, would you turn there with me for just a moment? Back up to the very first book in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. And we read a word here with regard to Jacob. I have found out as I've been studying the word of God that God deals with two people, (laughs) Jacob's and Esau's. 
And he deals with Jacob's through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way that God could have favor towards Jacob's is in the person and work and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Outside of Christ, we have nothing. In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. So that's how God deals with us is through Jesus Christ, but he calls his people by this name so often, Jacob. And here in the book of Genesis chapter 32, verse 9, we have Jacob using these words. Genesis chapter 32, and there in verse 9, and Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, You know, it's interesting, here are three generations, and not very often do we find that three generations are blessed by God with spiritual blessings. I could go back three generations and find there was nobody in my family that was blessed with this kind of blessing. But Jacob was able to go back and say, Abraham was blessed. Isaac was blessed. I have been blessed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in such a capacity that I have that blessed salvation that comes to the new birth. Here it tells us, again looking at Genesis chapter 32 and verse 9, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, and the Lord which said unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. As Jacob grasped that eternal covenant promise that Abraham and Isaac illustrate to him and to us, it is by that that we are also able to grasp the eternal blessings of the covenant of grace. It was God that thought it. It was God that wrought it. It is God that bought it. And we find that these saints of old reach back and grasp a hold of that and say, I am what I am by the grace of God and for no other reason. We read that verse, or Brother Craig read that passage there in the book of Exodus, and what a blessed passage it is as Moses was drawn aside to see this and to hear this blessing. I am the God of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. But would you move ahead with me to the book of Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. We have the same blessed uh, thought brought up. The covenant mercies of God brought up here in the book of Luke chapter 20. Now the subject is not quite here, but the Lord directs it there. How often we find the subject is another subject in the Lord by his grace and his mercy. Just as he did the woman at the well. She wanted to get into a religious discussion and he brought it around to the water of life. Other folks wanted to get into a discussion. The scribes, the Pharisees, they wanted to get into a discussion. And even God's people before they're regenerated want to get into a discussion about religious matters. And it is the gospel that brings them around to the right point. And that's what Jesus Christ preached and always preached. Here in the book of Luke chapter 20 and in verse 37, there's been quite a discussion going on. Oh, there's some Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection. And they bring up, you know, these questions. They didn't bring up questions for answers. They brought up questions to make Jesus look foolish. And they never could because they didn't realize who he is. He's the son of God. He is Jehovah. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. 
But here in Luke chapter 20, and there in verse 37, now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush when he called the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live unto him. Now, what a wonderful statement Ezra is making as we reflect on what Moses is recorded saying here. The God that led us here to this point, Ezra is saying, is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Let's recap what he is to us. He's the God of our fathers. And he's not the God of our dead fathers. He's the God of our living fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the rest of the saints of the Old Testament that stand in array before the throne of grace and declare, worthy is the lamb that was slain. So here we have this wonderful thought that Ezra brings up, that the Lord Jesus brings up with regard to Moses. He's not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. And would you carry on with me into the book of Acts for just a moment? A couple of verses over there in the book of Acts along the same theme. We declare the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what is that declaration? The God of all grace, the God of all mercy, the covenant God, the God that has taken care of the problem before there was a problem. We're looking to him and to no other. And that is what Ezra is sharing with us there in the book of Ezra chapter 7 and in verse 27. He is sharing with us the God of our fathers, the God that is alive and he has live people in his presence. Here in the book of Acts chapter 3, we have this wonderful passage of scripture that ties it again together of what Ezra had to say and what Jacob had to say and what Moses had to say there in the Old Testament. In the book of Acts chapter 3, verse 13, Acts chapter 3 and verse 13, we have this recorded. And the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob the God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus. Now, Ezra could have just simply said that too. He draws us to this very recognition of the fathers and what the fathers held to. Abraham didn't hold to the law for his salvation. In fact, Paul is very distinct in saying the law was given after Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Moses didn't hold to the law. He was the declarer of it. And I appreciated that thought this morning in the Bible class that Moses had to go up to the mountain. There's where he met God on Mount Sinai in thunderbolts and lightning and all of that. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ came down to us on a plain place, a flat place where there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male or female, bond or free. We have these things in Christ Jesus. So here it says in Acts chapter 3 and there in verse 13, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murder to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, 
whom God hath raised up from the dead, whereof uh, we are witnesses. Well, these same disciples would quickly say, he went as it was determined. They would quickly say, this was God's plan. They would quickly say, this is what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob believed, that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Christ in the New Testament is Messiah. In the Old Testament, the Messiah would take care of the problem that developed there in the Garden of Eden, and he would do it so completely, so fully, that there would be no sin left to the folks that he saves. Ezra, well, one other passage here in the book of Acts, and this is when Stephen revisited the history of the Old Testament before those folks that were soon going to take his life. Saul of Tarsus in the midst. Right there, listening to the words that Stephen brought out about the Old Testament. In the book of Acts chapter 7 and verse 31, Book of Acts chapter 7, and there in verse 31, when Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight. This is that burning bush. And as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, and I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and am come down to deliver them, and now come, I will send thee into Egypt. I have come down to deliver them. That's what God did. All right, go back with me to the book of Ezra chapter 7. And in that verse uh, that we're looking at, Ezra chapter 7 and verse 27, there is something as Ezra reminds us of who it was that was involved with setting the people free, who it was. It was the covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the living and not the God of the dead, the God that would give to us the Lamb, the Lamb of God, which takes away our sin. Here in the book of Ezra chapter 7, in that same verse of scripture, verse 27, we have Ezra bringing up this point now. He says, blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, and amen. They had something, and they shared something, and that sharing continues to go on to this day in the preaching of the gospel. Jesus Christ and him crucified is the message of the fathers. When Abraham offered a, a, a sacrifice, he was declaring to his family and the rest of the people that observed it, I am a sinner in need of a savior. I am a sinner in need of a substitute. Abraham, Isaac, Isaac became a wonderful picture of that very substitute. Jacob, we'd say, there is a rascal. There's a rascal. There's a sinner. And God said, yes, you got that right. But I love that sinner in Jesus Christ the Lord. I love him in my son. Jacob have I loved. Enough said. God loves you. He loved Jacob. That's enough said. He can do what he wants. He can say what he wants. Because it took the redemptive work of Jesus Christ to save that rascal just like it says that he came to die for sinners. All right, it goes on in that verse of Scripture. He shares with us something that God did for that king, King Artaxerxes. 
Now, I find no reason to believe that he ever went beyond just a physical level. I find no reason to believe that Artaxerxes had anything else but just a physical responsibility that God gave to him to let the children of Judah and Benjamin go back to Jerusalem. There is nothing recorded in the word of God that it ever went higher than that. But thanks be unto God, that is where it stood. God did deal with him. It tells us here, it says, and he, which hath put such a thing as this in the king's heart. We see in the scriptures that God uses many Esau's to bless Jacob's. God even deals with their hearts to do material things for Jacob's. I was very thankful that God touched the heart of uh, somebody, male or female, to go to pilot school so that they could drive that airplane, that jet airplane that I went on. Now, we landed safely. I had to compliment the pilot because it was probably the easiest landing I'd ever been in. And I'm thankful that God touched his heart as a young person to go get that education, and now he's a pilot and he carries God's people around. But I don't think that it was any deeper than that. He touched his heart to go to school, and I'm thankful for that. He touched the king's heart. Uh, it's time to let these folks go. He touched Cyrus's heart. It's time to let him go. Seventy years is up. And they went back. And we find that God does this. God used Artaxerxes' heart to bless the folks of Jer in Jerusalem to beautify the house, the temple of the Lord there. In other words, God moved in his heart. God is able to do this even in natural man's heart, to do what he intends to have done. And he purposes them to do it for his glory, his honor, and his praise. And it may be nothing more than providing physical blessings to the children of God. God put in his heart. God made the king want to. Now that's an interesting thought. God made the king want to do this for the children of Israel. God has given such a thing as this in his heart. So every time we look at it, from every aspect that we look at it, it was God that moved in him. If he was left to himself, he would have not let those people go. But not left to himself because God moved in him. God came upon him. God stirred him in such a capacity and it's a physical thing at the very most, just as we find in the book of Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Now what does that mean? He has the ability of moving a king, a queen, a president, a city councilor, a dog catcher, whatever it is, to perform his eternal purpose on the behalf of his people. And it may be nothing more than a physical heart dealing. We find with regard to, to uh, uh, Joseph. Would you turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 45? As Ezra said, I'm just so thankful for the covenant mercies to the fathers. To the God of the covenant mercies of the fathers. 
to the God that touched the heart, moved the heart of Artaxerxes to do this very thing that we've read, this long decree that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra to carry as he went back that what you're doing, you are authorized to do. And here in the book of Genesis, chapter 45, we have that Joseph realized this Though it was difficult in the beginning, and sometimes it's difficult for us to realize that God is doing his business just like he intends to do his business, and he may use the pilot to do it. He may use the king to do it. He may use 11 brothers to do it. Genesis chapter 45 and verse 5. Genesis chapter 45 and verse 5 We have these words, now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. He's being honest, but grace has gripped his heart. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. It's not going to be worth a thing to plant a crop, because there will be no harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you in posterity, a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance, So now it was not you that sent me hither. Now God moved in their heart like he did Artaxerxes. Now we say Artaxerxes did a good thing. Well, in retrospect, we find that Joseph realized that God moving in their heart did a good thing. It was hard on Joseph for a short time. And I'm sure that he went away saying, what in the world are these brothers doing to me as they sold him to the Ishmaelites to carry him off into a foreign place down to Egypt? But God had revealed to him, this is my purpose. And he says this, God, he hath made me a father to Pharaoh. So, verse 8, so now it is not you that sent me hither, but God. You know, I find delight to find places like that in the Bible that God has brought us through the deep water. God has brought us through whatever travail, but it's God that brought us through. He brought the deep water. He brought the travail for his own glory. I read in the book of Exodus chapter 12, after God set his people free from Egypt. Now, they didn't go down there as a punishment. Now, I've been taught... In religion, they're there being punished. No, they went down there and they were enjoying the hospitality of Egypt until a pharaoh arose who knew not Joseph. And he said, there's too many of them, we're just going to put them in slavery. And that's what he did. Now, God is going to use that on purpose to demonstrate the glorious redemptive plan. It must be a a substitute, the blood of a substitute must be seen before I'll set them free. And when the blood was on the doorpost and the lentils, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And he let him go. But there's something that the people of Egypt did for the children of Israel. He moved in their heart, and that's in Exodus chapter 12. 
Would you read there with me Exodus chapter 12 as we think about Ezra rejoicing in the God of his fathers and then saying the God of heaven moved in the king's heart to do this. And we find this throughout the scriptures. Exodus chapter 12 and there in verse 33. How did the children of Israel get all the gold and silver and bronze and jewelry for the building of the temple out there in the wilderness? They've been paupers for 400 years. They haven't been paid much but some mush. And then they talk about going back and getting the leeks and the onions and but they, they don't, they're not very rich people. But how in the world are they able to do all of that? Well, notice right here in the book of, of uh, Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, verse 33, also, uh, and the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we all be dead men. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being bound up on their clothes, upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed the Egyptians' jewels of silver, jewels of gold, raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. Who moved? on them to do this for the glory of the Lord and for the building of the house. God moved in their hearts to do this. We find over there when there were four lepers, they heard a whole army coming. And it was a phantom. But God gave them the understanding the whole army was coming and left everything behind all of their donkeys, all of their tents, all of their food, all of their drink, all of their gold, all of their raiment. And here, God blessed God's people with what was left. God does this. He moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. And he moved in Artaxerxes' heart to let the children of Judah and Benjamin to go back under Ezra. And we also find that in the Lord's day, when he was standing on trial before Pilate, Pilate had, you know, I can just see him flaunting himself. He didn't want to be there, really. But he's flaunting himself as a Roman emperor. He speaks for the Roman emperor, Caesar. And he's going to tell Jesus, I, I've got this power over you. And our Lord and Savior said right to him, on the plane, <laughs> Right there in front of him, he said this, Jesus answered, thou couldst have no power at all against me. I like that, at all. No power at all against me, except it were given of thee from above. Now that tells us who's in charge right there, has always been in charge, and will forever be in charge. The Lord is in charge. He was in charge of Artaxerxes. He was in charge of the confinement of those people from Jerusalem. He, was, he had it tallied up exactly how long they would be there, and when the tally had run out, it's time to touch a king's heart to let them go. 
And there's another group that need to be taken back also. And so he touched Artaxerxes' heart and Ezra realized just how much God was involved with the delivery of his people. All of it. Ezra couldn't lead them without permission. And God gave permission for him to lead those people back to Jerusalem. In Romans chapter 9. Would you turn there with me? Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. This is just the heart and core of what we're reading about here in the book of Ezra. This is the heart and core. This is the separation. This is those twins. Jacob and Esau. Ishmael and Isaac. The separation. But here in Romans chapter 9, verse 15. Romans chapter 9, verse 15. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. So then it is not. And I have to stop there and ruminate. So then it is not. It is not of any other man's willing or runnings. It is not from his good desires. It is not from his deeds, his good inclinations or actions or from foresight. It is not that, for it goes on to tell us here, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. What a blessing it is to hear the words of Ezra as he recounts this entire decree from the king Artaxerxes, and he says, Bless the God of covenant mercies. For he stirred the heart of King Artaxerxes to let me go. Now, one other passage before we move on to another thought about stirring in the heart. And it's found in the book of Lamentations. Right after Jeremiah, there are the Lamentations of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, or Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 37 Jeremiah, excuse me, Lamentations of Jeremiah, chapter 3 and verse 37. Who is he that saith, and it come to pass, cometh to pass, when the Lord commanded it not? Say all you want, but if the Lord commanded it not, it's not coming to pass. All those false prophets that Israel had, all that they had to say, all that they had to do, all their illustrations came to naught because they were not the commandment of the Lord. Now, why did Artaxerxes permit the children of Judah and Benjamin to go back to to Jerusalem? Because it was the command of the Lord. God used him in this great way to take the children of Israel, Judah and Benjamin, back. Now, God moved in Artaxerxes' heart to do what God purposed to be done. He moved on the heart of everyone to do what he wants to have done. God has moved the hearts of Esau's to serve Jacob's. 
yet their movements of the heart were merely physical. You know, the Lord, we got some rain the other day. I heard down in Vancouver you got quite a bit of rain. And you know what? God doesn't mark off this house because there's a believer in it and they get rain. His physical blessings are on the just as well as the unjust. He sends the sunshine on the just as well as the unjust. But when it comes to true work of grace, he only works on his elect. He can use anybody else the way he sees fit, just like he did Artaxerxes or like he did the, children, the other children of um, Jacob. But when it comes to spiritual things, he only deals with his people. God must do more than move the heart physically. Most of religion is just moving hearts physically. If you weep enough, if you come down front, if you sign a card, if you join the church, if you get baptized, if you take the Lord's Supper, all physical activities. And most people are satisfied with that. But God doesn't work his business like that. He may work in the heart of Artaxerxes like that, and Artaxerxes may give a decree to let the people go back to Jerusalem like that, but when it comes to the heart, there must be more than physical activity because the heart is deceitful above all things and dead in trespasses and sin. So God's got to do something there, more than he did for Artaxerxes. Would you turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. I'm like Mike. We should start in chapter 1 and read through here. You'll have to do it. That's your assignment. <laughs> but here in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 4, there is a work in the heart that God performs on his people, in his people, for his people, that is much different than what he did for Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes to everybody that stood around him, said, he woke up one morning and says, I, I think we, we need to let Ezra go home. And probably some of his advisors took some convincing of that. But Ezra said after a while, they all were in favor of it. Now, whether it was like those Egyptians or not, I don't know. They were all in favor of Israel leaving. Because we might all become dead men. But here when it comes to the heart, where God works a work, where it is required that he alone do this, and it's not physical, it's spiritual. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, we have these wonderful words recorded for our edification, our instruction. But God, who is rich in mercy, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together by, uh, with Christ, for uh, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say a thing about that with Artaxerxes because his moving in his heart was to accomplish physical blessings for the children of Israel. But when it comes to spiritual blessings, God must go deeper. He must raise us from the spiritual dead. And it is only then can we do what Ezra did and praise the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
the God of the living and not the God of the dead. It is only then that we can truly appreciate what God's word has to say. Thou hast the words of eternal life. It is only then that we can love him. And then we find out we love him because he first loved us. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Is what we read over in the book of the Psalms. And we also hear Isaiah's words saying, I am sought of them that ask not for me. Now there's a whole bunch of Israelites who say, well, we're serving God, we're serving God. And he said, the Lord Jesus said, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Ye believe not because you're not of my sheep. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It takes God doing more than he did for Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes could say, I did a really good thing. I'm going to write that in the tablets of history. Most people who do really good things, thinking that it's for religious reasons, do write it down. They don't let many people forget what they've done. But when God works a work of grace, it is what Ezra said. Oh, blessed be the Lord God of our fathers. For it was him that stirred the heart of this king to let us go back and beautify the temple. And besides that, he's blessed me to go back. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36 and verse 26, we're going to close with this passage of Scripture. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. Ezekiel, chapter 36 and verse 36. And again, this is just a passage, excuse me, verse 26. We should begin at the beginning and read, but we'll let you have that. This is what God said about the heart. I can move in Artaxerxes' heart, and I'll get him to do my purpose. But when it comes to salvation and a new heart, also will I give you. That heart isn't worth anything. I can manipulate, I move, I get, my, I get people, I get Esau's to do my purpose for my people. They're the ones that cut down the lumber so they can build their house. They're the ones that milk the cows so they can have milk. They're the ones that grind the flour so they can have bread. They're the ones that take care of my people. But when it comes to my people, I must work a greater work than that work. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. That's the Holy Spirit. And I will take away the stony heart. I looked that word stony up, and it means common stone. In natural state. I'll take away the natural state and give you a heart of flesh, and I will give you a uh, out of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. So God does so much more for his people 
in giving them a new heart, in raising them. I'm thankful for God what He does in the physical state. I like my mail delivered. I like my gasoline pumped. I like all of those things that we get to enjoy. And by and large, they're probably a high percentage of Esau's. But when it comes to spiritual things, God must work a work of grace. He must give us the new birth. He must give us a new heart. He must give us. And then we find out He hath not only enabled me, but caused me to do His will. To believe Him. To believe Him. Well, that next verse over there in the book of Ezra, Ezra goes on with some more blessings that we're just going to count and look at next time. And that verse of Scripture shares this, And hath this king hath extended mercy unto me before the king, and his counselors, and before all the king's princes. And I was strengthened as the hand, now notice this, as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. He's going to continue. May we pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we're thankful for your abounding grace. We're thankful for that physical grace that you give and that physical uh, blessings you give. But more than that, we count it so blessed that you've reached back into the council halls of eternity, that you've laid out a lamb slain from the foundation of the world, that you have a purpose of shed blood on the behalf of your people. You have redemptive work already taken care of. And then in time, you come with the gospel and your spirit's activity and you give us something that we could not work up ourselves. We could not do for ourselves. Only the physical things could we do. You've done something spiritual. And that is you've given us Christ and his righteousness. And it's in his name we now pray. And with thanksgiving we come before you. Amen. And as Brother Mike says, be free.